Welcome and good morning, everyone. Isn't it great assurance to know that we do have an anchor of hope in the Lord? So whether you're sitting here this morning, you're sitting in your living room or somewhere else, we welcome you in the name of the Lord Jesus and we are glad you're here. It's always exciting to to worship together, to exercise the privilege that we do have. In Psalm 90, verse 1, it says, Lord, You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Believe the mountain, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, 
from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And we come together this morning to celebrate an anchor that will never fail, will never slip, has always been there and always will ever be. And so with that, it is exciting to join together. I just want to encourage you in a couple of areas. First of all, first I want to tell you what a fantastic job you do as a church family of staying connected. Rarely do I talk to someone on the phone that they don't say, well, I just got off the phone with somebody else and it's another member, or I was talking to someone else, or I was heard from somebody else. And I want to tell you, you're doing a fantastic job of just keeping in contact with one another. And I just encourage you, keep it up. Emails, texts, phone calls. If you want to put something in the mail and you don't have a stamp, just drop it off at the church. We'll put a stamp on it and get it mailed out for you. So keep doing that. And also, just remember that there are ways that we can continue to serve. We partner with Harvest House. School is about to start. They're always in need of food items, purchasing school supplies and things such as that. If you have things you want to drop off, you can bring them here to the church. We'll get them to Harvest House, or you can take them directly to Harvest House. Or you can support our Next Step Women's Center, the Crisis Pregnancy Center, the Pregnancy AIDS Center, as they continue to provide education, to stand for life, and to help young men and young women make informed decisions based on the truth of who God is, what His Word says, and the sanctity of, of life. So those are just a couple of areas that I thought I would highlight this morning, but I do want to take time to pray as we join together that we would pray that God would work in our hearts, He would work in His people, He would work in our country, and that above all, His will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. So we just join me in praying this morning. Lord Jesus, we are thankful that we can gather in Your name in Your house. And we thank You that You have been a refuge, a dwelling place in all generations in generations past and in generations present and in generations future. And Lord, we ask this morning that you would help our hearts to be prepared to worship you. We come in here with all different kinds of distractions, of discouragements, of problems, things that would hinder us from worshiping you. And Lord, we ask you would work in our hearts and you would prepare our hearts. You would wash our spirits clean and prepare us to worship you. Because, God, we want to see you in your glory this morning as we sing. We pray for your people that gather in places all over this community and all over the world, even our our building back here where our Congolese brothers and sisters meet. Lord, I pray that today there would be just a, a sense of excitement among your people, that they are going to come encounter with the living God and they're going to hear truth from him. And so, Lord, you would empower those that speak. You would encourage those hearts that are there. You would prepare your people and bring revival. We pray for our brothers and sisters that serve as missionaries near and far. We thank you for the ones that that we have special relationship with, those that have had the the privilege of being part of our fellowship for a while or are still part of our church family. We thank you for the Qualls family. And God, while they wait, we trust that you have a plan for them. And so we ask for you to to make that path known and to be an ever-present help to them. We pray for our our brother and sister Gary and Carolyn on their stateside, and we pray for your 
encouragement for them, Lord, as you prepare them for what's next in their ministry. We pray for the Greenwoods. We pray for many others that, um, that serve both near and far. And Lord, we are thankful that you have a plan for them. We're thankful that you called them to do a special work in different places. And Lord, we trust that you will use them for your glory. God, thank you for the calling on their lives. Lord, we pray for our country. God, we pray that not only would you revive churches, but you would bring renewal to our country. Or that you would bring healing to our land from the many divides that seem to continue to get wider. Lord, knowing that you alone are the only solution. And Lord, most of all, we pray that in this place this morning and in your church and on the earth, that your will would be done as it is in heaven. Lord, help us to see the Lord Jesus high and lifted up. Help us to leave all the distractions behind, to open our hearts, to open our mouths as we sing and as we worship, and that we would experience your presence this morning. Oh, Lord, we give you thanks and we praise you in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Let's all sing together this morning. Would you stand and sing with us this morning? Your only sign for you I- 
Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave, he is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. From every people and tribe, every nation and tongue, he has made us a kingdom and priest to God to reign with the Son. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Is he worthy of Is he worthy? Is he Here we are now, children of the 
Sometimes you get so busy singing, you forget that you're supposed to do something afterwards. And I just kind of caught, got caught unawares over there. But it's good to see you again. If you do have your Bibles, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 4 this morning together as we continue to look at the story of God's people in the book of Joshua and the wondrous miracle that he has worked to get them into the promised land and then into continuing weeks, the the idea of conquest, of taking hold of the land that he has provided for them. Now, I just want to tell you that, you know, I like to collect rocks from places that we visit. It's not the most convenient thing to collect. And often I find myself with very heavy pockets um, after we get finished being somewhere. But, you know, rivers, lakes, streams, mountain trails, state parks roadsides, and even admittedly a driveway or two along the way. Find a rock, I like it, and put it in my pocket, bring it home. I have a rock here that I got from from Beaver's Bend, from the state park there, from the river. I have another rock here. This came from Lake Michigan, I think. Um, I have some rocks at home from from the Jordan River. I have some rocks from a stream in Colorado. have more rocks from Lake Michigan, and I even have a a couple of rocks from Mount Nebo, I'm east of the Jordan, when we got to visit there, that place where Moses looked over into the promised land. 
And the reason I pick up rocks is because they remind me of the trips. It's like having a little part of being there. And it helps tell the story of something that happened in the past that I really enjoyed. And today we're going to look at some more rocks. These rocks are specifically from the Jordan River. And they help God's people to remember the miracle of crossing over the Jordan. And it gave them an opportunity to retell the story of what God had done on their behalf. And I want us to explore together this idea that when God's people testify to his faithfulness and works, it sparks and encourages the faith of other people. So we're going to read in Joshua chapter 4, the entire chapter, if you want to look at that and follow along. It says, when all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, from each each tribe of man, and command them, saying, take 12 stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from every place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, What do these stones mean? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, when it passed over the Jordan, The waters of the Jordan were cut off so that these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they had lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant stood. And they are there to this day. For the priests bearing the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people, according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. The people passed over in haste. And when all the people had finished passing over, the Ark of the Lord and the priests passed over before the people. The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the people of Israel, as Moses had told them. About 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. And the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, Come up out of the Jordan. And when the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan and the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. The people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones, which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, What do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. 
for the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Will you pray with me? Oh, Lord, this morning we are grateful to be in the presence of a mighty God, a God who works on behalf of his people, a God who we can trust and a God who is faithful. And Lord, we ask you this morning to help us to see the power of testimony, telling of your faithfulness and of your work and how that strengthens and encourages our faith and begins to spark faith in the lives of others. Lord, help us to see. Open our eyes and open our hearts to the truth of your word, by the power of your spirit, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there's five things I want you to see this morning. And the first thing is we're going to revisit for a second was the fact that last week we looked at, and here we are in the middle of what was an unforgettable miracle. Verse 1 reminds us, when all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan. We mentioned last week that that could have been as many as 2 to 3 million people who walked across the Jordan River. This miracle where it was parted like the Red Sea was. And you can imagine the people were filled with excitement. Because this would be such a fulfilling time for all the people. Because that promise made long ago to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was now a reality. And in the midst of this, to build drama, the river's at flood stage. Their people are probably wondering, what in the world are we going to do? But we know God's done something in the past. And so they remain obedient to God's instructions. They exercise their faith. And in God's power, all of a sudden, the impossible becomes possible. The priests in the ark led the way. They stepped out into the water. The water stopped flowing. The priests stood firmly on dry ground. The people passed on dry ground. And all of Israel reached the other side. Now the Jordan River was behind them, and their feet were in the promised land. If we had been there, you could just imagine the people thinking to themselves, wow, that's a moment we'll never forget. But if we're not careful, sometimes even things we think are unforgettable can be forgotten. Now, it's not immediate or all at once. It's slow, incremental over time. They just seem to maybe lose a bit of their luster. They're suddenly not all that important to us. And our mind moves on to something else. And you just don't think about it much anymore. At some point in most every high school graduation speech, You'll hear something akin to this. These are some of the best days of our lives. Days we will never forget. And y'all are probably laughing because you probably heard your valedictorian or your salutatorian or the historian say those words. And you know what happens? Honestly, we forget those important moments that we should never. Because given time, memories fade. And we forget. That's why Moses warned the people in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Take care lest you Forget the Lord. How could they forget the Lord? But we see they did. Because later on, Jeremiah, calling out the sins of the people, speaking for the Lord, says, My people have forgotten me. 
And if we're not careful to remember, to remember, we'll soon forget. We'll forget what God's done in the past. We'll forget what God has done in our lives. We'll forget how God sees us and what He is willing to do for us. And forgetfulness, if we're not careful, when it creeps in, leads to spiritual discouragement. It causes our faith faith to grow weak. It can lead us into bondage, defeat, and hopelessness. That's why the Bible gives us clear reminders to remember and to not forget. In the great, in the Ten Commandments, the Lord says, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. The writer of Ecclesiastes tells us to remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. That's Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1. The psalm writer in Psalm 103, verse 2 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. And Paul, speaking to those two young pastors, Timothy and Titus, constantly reminds them to do what? To remind them of these things. Why is that so important? It's important because remembering and reflecting on what God has done in the past strengthens our faith in the future. As you're out and about, driving along the roads or walking through towns, you see all of these markers and statues and museums and memorials. They're marking historical occasions to try to keep the the past alive. And if we didn't have those events, places, people would soon begin to be forgotten, wouldn't they? We would just lose track of them. You would think that it would have been impossible for them to forget the miracle of the Jordan. But God knew the frailty of the human mind, and so He instructs Joshua to build a necessary memorial. That's the second thing. These twelve stones. The Lord said to Joshua, the writer tells us, wanting us to know without a doubt that this is God's idea. It's not Joshua's. Joshua didn't just have a brainstorming time and say, we're going to get 12 stones to remember. No, God gave him the instructions. And if you remember back to chapter 3, these 12 men are chosen to do something. We don't really know what. We find out in chapter 4 that they're going to be the rock bearers. And they must have been a little larger than the ones I have here because he tells them to take them upon their shoulders. And so they take 12 stones from the dry riverbed and make a memorial in the Jordan They take 12 more and they make another one at Gilgal. It's not uncommon because stones are very common in the Holy Land. They're plentiful and they're rocks. They last a long time. So when Jacob wanted to commemorate that encounter with God at Bethel, he set a stone memorial. When Jacob and Laban made their agreement, Genesis 31, they made a stone memorial. And in 1 Samuel chapter 7, Samuel erects a stone monument, the Ebenezer, to remind him of God's faithfulness. So after everyone is crossed, God gives the instructions to gather up these stones, to take them from the place where the priest stood firm in the Jordan. And these stones would be made into a memorial forever would cause them to remember and to reflect on what God had done. 
not too unlike the Vietnam War Memorial or the World War II Memorial or the other memorials that are there at Washington. Or if you've ever been to our own seminary there in Fort Worth around one of the buildings, they have a a memorial walk, a martyr's walk, where you can remember men and women who were faithfully serving their Lord that gave their life all around the world. But this memorial will be for all of Israel and then everyone in the future to remind them. And so these men, they they do exactly what Joshua tells them to do, which is exactly what the Lord told Joshua to do. They make these two piles and both, it says, are there to this day, which would have been the time of the writing. Now, the one in the Jordan was the place where God's great miracle took place. And so when the river was not in flood stage, the water was down, the level was low, these rocks would be evident and people could look back and it would be a testimony to see what God had done. The other was at Gilgal, which verse 8 tells us is the place where they lodged. This is where they set up camp. And Gilgal becomes important. It would become a very important base of operation for the conquest of the land. Because they had the security of the Jordan River at their back. No one could sneak up on them. And they had the open plain out in front of them where they could see for miles. So no one could approach them without them knowing. And it would be the place they would soon celebrate their first Passover in the promised land. Now the story goes on and tells us that the priest stood there in the water until everybody, or stood in the dry ground until everybody passed over. And then verse 10, the priest bearing the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people. They were there in this place. They set a memorial to remind them that your God is faithful. Your God is trustworthy. He loves you and he will lead you. But you see, memorials are only as important as what they represent. Because a rock by itself is just a rock. And a place by itself is just a place. And a memorial is just a structure unless they stand for something that's important. See, God knew in time what would happen. That memory of the Jordan River crossing would fade. Life would go on and the miraculous would all of a sudden get lost in the mundane. And that children would begin to ask questions of their parents and their grandparents. And they needed to be able to provide them the right answer. And so the third thing is that God gives them a repeated question. The question's very simple. What do these stones mean? It's in verse 6. It's in verse 21. What's the big deal about this big pile of rocks over there at Gilgal? What's the big deal about the big pile of rocks that's in the Jordan? You see, God had a plan. And His plan is, and still remains to be, that parents, grandparents would pass down, pass on to their children from generation to generation the truth of the faith. We hear those words in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, the great Shema, when he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I have commanded you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit 
in your home and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You'll bind them around. You shall bind them as a sign around your hand and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. And you'll write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Psalm 78 gives us the reason for this. And the reason is simply this. Verse 6 says that the next generation might know the children yet unborn and arise and tell their children so that their hope would be set in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And they should not be like their fathers, stubborn, rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful. Our children, our grandchildren, are asking the question of us with words and with actions, what do these stones mean? They're seeking out and searching out for answers in life to hard questions. They're wondering and they're watching to try to find out what to do, what not to do. They're battling with this real question in the world that is God real? And does he care? They're battling with the identity of who am I? How did God make me? And why am I here? Oh, church, we better have an answer for those questions. And we have to start young. We have to be consistent and we can't give up. We have to teach our children the ways of the Lord because hearing the truth matters. We have to show them what it looks like to walk in the ways of the Lord because living in the light of the truth gives meaning to those stones in your life. See, I really believe we're at a crossroads in this day like no other. And it would be easy to be discouraged to think about the future. Because however you want to call it, our kids, church kids, family kids, are questioning their faith like no other time. They're challenging in every direction the truths that we believe. And studies suggest that nearly half of students, when they leave a church at graduation after high school, never come back. Now, is that acceptable to you? Is it acceptable to me? No. Why? Because God is too big, the gospel is too powerful, and He loves them so amazingly. And I can't just throw up my hands, and we can't just throw up our hands and say there's nothing we can do when there's so much we can do. Because the generation, the next generation, is looking at you and me, and they're asking, what do these stones of faith mean to you? And all too often, they're getting the wrong answer. And that answer, sadly, is evidently very little. You see, it's not just knowledge. It's not just going to, to church and going to Sunday school. It's, it's real life experience and transformation. It's saying no to this me-centered faith idea that says, God wants me to feel good, be happy, and everything to go well, and embrace the cross. Where we follow Jesus unapologetically. We talk about Him with, with passion, and we teach our to- children diligently that the road is probably not going to be easy. It will likely be very difficult, but at the end it is rewarding. 
Will we answer those questions spoken and unspoken with truth and love? Or will we be irresponsible in our duty and allow our culture and their friends to shape their lives? Reflect on this just for a second. What do these stones mean to you? What does your faith mean to you? What does Jesus mean to you? You see, how we answer, if we answer, matters. Because the fourth thing that we see in this text is that God gave them a memorable answer. So they're on the banks of the Jordan. All Israel has experienced this wonderful miracle. Twelve men set up twelve stones. And they see God's hand at work in every bit of it. He gives orders to Joshua, the people, and the priests. They set up the memorial. God anticipates the question the children are going to answer, ask, and he even gives them the answer. We've seen the question, what do these stones mean? The answer comes in verse 22 and verse 23. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over. Smooth, worn stones that had been rolling along in the river were in place to remind God's people of his work. Water dried up. People crossed on dry land. Once again, just like at the Red Sea, God did something. He stepped in when it seemed hopeless. It's interesting, verse 19 gives us the date. Now, dates are important in the Bible, and this one is no exception. It's the tenth day of the first month. The same day, 40 years earlier, Israel began preparing to go out of Egypt. The Lord instructed Moses to tell the people to kill a lamb, to paint the blood over the doorposts, that the angel of death would Passover. And the Lord was beginning to deliver His people, not only from death, but out of Egypt, into the place He had for them. And now, 40 years later, on that very day, their redemption was complete. They were in the land. 40 years ago, they're slaves. Now, they're heirs that have inherited their promise. Because God was faithful. He kept His promise. He saved His people. And God still keeps promises today. He's mighty to save. You see, He anticipated this question. He gave them the answer. God did it. He is faithful. And there's a lasting reason. It's the fifth thing. You see, there's a reason we still talk about God's miracles today. We read the stories, we marvel at what God did, and we long for Him to do it again. And the reason is, is because we believe they're true. You see, the miracle, the stones, the question, the answer, they all had one purpose. And you see it in verse 24. So that all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Two directions. First, all the people of the earth. 
would know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. In chapter 3, we see a description of who God is. He's the living God. He's Lord of all the earth. And each time the Israelites remembered the occasion of this crossing of the Jordan and responded to the question, what do these stones mean? It was a testimony to the might of their God, that he was alive, that he was Lord of all the earth, and he controlled all things. And the goal of that is that all the people of the earth would know the might, the love, of the Lord of all the earth. It's still his goal today. The second reason was that God's people would be able to fear the Lord your God forever. Now, when you hear that word fear in the Old Testament, don't think about a dreadful, slavish fear. It's the closest word in the Old Testament we have for an expression of faith. It's recognizing who God is, who is what His glory is, and then putting your trust in Him. Psalm 130, verse 4, but, you may, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. And so these stories were retold so that people could put their trust and their love in God. And today, God works in the world the same way when we share testimonies of His faithfulness. When people see God's, when God's people see Him move and they talk about it, they know God is for them and not against them. They know that God works in their lives, through their lives, and they can trust Him in the future to do it again. And when the world around sees God's work among His people, they have the opportunity to respond to the truth that God is real. He's the one true God. He's Lord of all the earth. He's mighty and He's alive. He's active in the world and He is a God of salvation. See, when God's people testify to His faithfulness and work, it sparks and encourages the faith of other people. And today, if you are called by the name of of Jesus, you have been the recipient of an unforgettable miracle. The miracle of salvation. The miracle that Jesus talked to Nicodemus about in John 3.16, that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. That by faith in Jesus we were brought from spiritual death to eternal life. And that miracle works today that in Christ God is reconciling or bringing back together relationships between Himself and the world. And the God who delivered His people, brought them out of Egypt, brought them across the Red Sea, brought them through the wilderness, brought him across the Jordan and then into the promised land. Oh, today he still delivers men and women from bondage, from slavery to sin and self to be heirs of salvation in Christ. And we have necessary memorials along the way to help us prove the point. We look back to the cross, to the empty tomb. He is not here. He is risen. He is risen indeed. We celebrate baptism that's a picture of that death, burial, and resurrection 
we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, when we take the, the cup and we take the bread to commemorate our Lord laying down His life for us. And there's the memorial of the living stones of transformed life. Men and women just like you and me that have had an encounter with the living God. And we're going to face repeated questions day after day. What do do these mean to you? The world is looking for that answer. Our children are waiting to hear from us. What does the cross and the empty tomb mean to you today? How will we express it to others? Will we give them the memorable answer? There's power in personal testimony. When somebody stops and says, let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. There's excitement. We talked about a few weeks ago when I shared a testimony of, a, of Iris Blue that there's the, the words of a, what she called a satisfied customer. And when we have those opportunities, I ask you, be excited about it. Be intentional about when you share it and be persistent over and over again. Because here's the lasting truth. It's who God is and what God does. It's the things that never grow old. They're always true. They're always relevant and they're always transforming. That's why the Bible tells us to be ready to give the reason for the hope that is in us. You see, when people see that we have a joy that is unspeakable, that's unexplainable, when your children come to you and they're expressing real doubt, fear, or concern, take time to share the truth of what God has done for you whenever and wherever you get the opportunity. And here's the reason. Because it points to a God who is who He says He is and does what this book says He has done both then and now. And it can be a spark that ignites faith in someone else. It can be a fan that that fans the, the fire of those seeking after God. It can be fuel that helps that fire to grow. It can be the part of an investment that will build a heritage of faith in your children. Because anytime you say, stop and let me tell you what the Lord has done for me, you're drawing attention to our Savior. Joshua and his generation had to answer the question, what do these stones mean to you? The question we have to answer today as followers of Jesus is, what does Jesus mean to you? How will we answer? Will you pray? Father, we are thankful for the record of your word that gives us Instruction that gives us encouragement, that provides us strength, that provides us challenging, um, and 
that lets us encounter who you are and what you have done. And Lord, this morning as we have listened to this story, it's reminding us that you've done great things and you've given us memorials all along the way to remind us, to help us remember. And that you've given us words that you you instruct us to tell over and over again. And so, Lord, this morning as we look at a pile of rocks in the Jordan River, I pray you would help us to remember what you have done for us and you would strengthen us and equip us in our responsibility to retell that wonderful story of who you are and what you've done to the generations that follow, to our neighbors, to one another, to the people we see in the places that we go, that they would see that you are alive and well in this day, that you are mighty to save, that you are a savior, you're a deliverer, that you're a helper, that you are God, that you are Lord of all. And Lord, we ask for your help to remember and to retell the great works of your hand. And we ask this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Our musicians are here to to lead us um, in a time of of singing, a time of commitment. Two things can happen here first. If you, as we sing, we, we declare on the glory of who the Lord is. As we reflect, we take opportunity to, to ponder these questions. What does Jesus mean to you? And what does he want to change today in your life about telling others, telling the world around you, telling your own family, telling your children or your grandchildren? But there might be someone that's listening or or even sitting here today that the question of who Jesus is has became very real, maybe for the very first time. And I would be amiss to not mention that the salvation that, that God offers is free. It's available to all who will just put their trust in the Lord Jesus, who will say no to sin and say yes to Jesus, that would do what the Bible calls repent, to turn from their sin and to turn to the Savior. And today, if you do that, is the day of salvation. And so as we listen to God speak, as we sing the words of the song, I just pray that you would respond as the Lord would have you to do. And I ask that you would just join me in standing and in singing as we listen and respond to our Lord.
second, and, and Tim, why don't you go ahead and, and come up, and I'll find a microphone. Let me borrow just the three or four minutes of your time. Um, um, you know, nine and a half years ago, almost ten years ago, I think Cindy and I stood somewhere right about here and announced that we were following uh, the lead of God in our lives, and we went off overseas for six years. And um, we didn't understand why we were going to a Muslim world. You know, I feel like Rusty's message was so pointed that there were, you know, those 12 stones were, were a memorial, but they were also a place of departure to go forward and, and tell people about Christ. Now I was thinking about going to a Muslim world. How do you ever get a chance to do that? And we had so many opportunities and we're so blessed. It was the hardest uh, six years of our life in so many ways, but exponentially uh, powerful by watching and just having God work in our lives. But all that to say is that, you know, we've come to a new chapter in our life. You know, when we were getting ready to come back from Abu Dhabi, God sowed a seed in our hearts as we were just wondering what life would be like coming back from an experience like that and doing what he had called us to do. 
So we have been um, tabernacling among you for these last four years, nearly four years. Christmas time it'll be four. And uh, that seed that God sowed has come to fruition in our lives. So what's coming to you in just a few minutes has been long working in our hearts, in our lives. And uh, I wish, if it were possible, if... Um, if God would just let your, your heart and mind merge with our heart and mind for just a few moments and to see all that we can't quite express, um, I think you would be like us, uh, excited about what's ahead and also at the same time, um, it's just a bit sad. But you are our faith family. We are not flying out tomorrow. Um, we will be here. But God's called us to a a home-based mission work. Um, and like I said, it's, it's been four years in the working, and um, a couple years ago I started talking a lot more with Mike and Susan Keller, just help asking him to pray about things in our lives. And, and then, um, you know, over another year, you know, their hearts, there was something similar working in their own lives. And so in the past several months, we have been meeting and praying and praying. And so we don't know what more to say about it than that. There's some fear and trepidation in a, in a godly way. We, we don't feel like we have the strength for this. We don't have the youth for this. Um, but God seems to think so. And he's put this call in our lives. So um, you are our faith family, and we love you. And I think about... Um, you know, just what God's just let us be a part of in just this last few years here, and such a blessing, and um, and um, <clears throat> for sure it will continue, and we'll see each other here and about, I'm sure, and we're looking forward to that possibility as well. But anyway, um, just ask you to, like we asked you ten years ago, partner with us in prayer. Um, uh, for what God is calling us and working in us to do. And um, we would be so blessed and humbled that you would join us and pray for us. And um, I'm not asking for, you know, that I like that prayer when everybody gathers around and prays, but we're in a different time. But but the kind of prayer I uh, we seek from you is the kind of prayer that just as often as God brings us to your remembrance... And um, that you will just pause and pray for, the, for him to work in us and through us. And um, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's been it's difficult, but yet exciting for us. You know, I'm, I'm sure that, uh, Israel felt that way, like, what, crossing this Jordan and what's going to happen next? <laughs> and and um, they could see that God was powerful, but so many unanswered questions about entering in. And so that's where we are. We're seeing God's powerful. We got a great memorial of his word and his power in us and this, and this faith family that's been uh, a part of our strength, uh, a genuine, real part of our strength. So we go forward in that, and we're hanging on to that. So we just invite you to and, and just pray for us, pray for the work as often as is. We come to your mind and heart. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. And Cindy, don't go anywhere. We're not going to get... I'll honor your request. And we do want to be responsible to, to socially distance. But I was thinking, you know, you look at this from two perspectives. From the, the human fleshly side, it stinks, you know, and we're, it's, we're sad and we're grieved. 
But from the kingdom side, it's nothing but, but exciting to see what the Lord um, wants to do in them. And, you know, the, the thing about it is, um, you know, the qualifications that he looks for are willingness and faithfulness. He doesn't, you know, there are no age requirements. There's no health questionnaire. It's just simply, you know, God, you know, we're yours and use us. And so we trust that. And, and I was thinking about, you know, what Paul, you know, often said was, you know, he would combine this phrase, you know, when I think about you, I pray for you. And when I pray for you, I think about you. And so the best way that we can remember, the best way we can partner is, is in, our, in our prayers. Because, I, you know, I truly believe that, that God has a work here. And I was talking to someone last week, and, you know, they were like, well, there's, we have churches everywhere. But there are, there's a subset of our culture, and it's, it's quite large, that for whatever reason, you know, past experience or, you know, or something in a church or whatever, you know, a church, you know, traditional building is really not going to be a way to reach those folks. Um, homes, um, committed believers that are engaging in their community and wake, welcoming in their homes is, is a very, um, very viable and unique way to reach folks. And so we commend them in that. I want to take a chance before they sit down just to, just to pray for them. And, um, you know, as, as, as carefully as you, as you want to be, um, you know, when, we're, when we close, you know, just show your, your love, your appreciation um, to them and, um, and just your, your well wishes, and we will commit as a congregation to pray. But let's, let's pray. Father, we are thankful that you do your work all around the world in unique ways. And God, we're, we're, we're grateful that you've given us opportunity for, for these several years, for these seasons, to, to partner with, with Tim and with Cindy. Whether it's been here in our fellowship in Burleson, whether it's been over in Abu Dhabi, whether it's been while you've used them to influence lives teaching I'm in public schools, or now as they get ready, along with Mike and Susan Keller, to launch into this home missionary role that you have for them. And God, we truly believe that you, you call men and women to tasks and you equip them with exactly what they need. And so, Lord, we agree in our prayers and in our hearts to partner with them with expressions of our love through our prayers and through our support. And Lord, we trust that what you have ahead is good, that it will be exciting. And God, just like you send men and women across the world, you send us out into the places that we are. And so we we do thank you for that. We thank you for the blessing of your, your word. We thank you for the power of your spirit. We thank you for their calling, for their commitment to your word, for your, their love, for for their church family and their love for the people around them. And we trust that what you're going to do is going to be exciting. And we look forward to hearing the testimonies of your faithfulness, of what you did, because they were willing to step out. We thank you, O Lord, and we pray your blessings in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. We're going to sing a song in just a second. And as we begin singing, if you want to come up this way and or... The camera will be off in just a second, so you don't have to worry about being on, on camera. But you can come up this way and just, you know, express um, love and prayers and concern, you know, just your support for, for Tim and Cindy. But we all stand with me. Um, we're going to sing. Uh, thank you for worshiping with us. And when we begin singing, you can move about freely. So, What a wonderful maker. What a wonderful Savior. Majestic joy. 